Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. If you're new here today, let me just extend my warm welcome to you. We're glad that you've come to be a part of our family this morning. Uh, What we do as a church family is we sing songs and we pray and then we study the Bible. And at the moment, we are studying the book of Daniel and we're up to Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have Bibles in the seats in front of you and you can turn the part of the Bible that we're going to be looking at today is found on page number 739. So open up your Bible to page number 739. Uh, This past week, I had the opportunity to go to a breakfast that was put on by ACL. ACL stands for the Australian Christian Lobby. And uh, they put this uh, breakfast on for pastors in Adelaide just to introduce the new managing director of ACL, who is Martin Eyes, uh, and also to give a bit of a debrief of where uh, things are up to with the Ruddock Inquiry. Uh, The Ruddock Inquiry is an inquiry that our government... Uh, commissioned uh, into what type of uh, protections need to be written into our laws uh, to protect religious freedom and freedom of speech in Australia. And Martin said that the good news is, is that the Ruddock Inquiry has been very fair-minded, and now there are two proposals that are being put forward to our government, a, a good proposal that will ensure religious freedom and freedom of speech in Australia, uh, and a not-so-good proposal And so we need to be praying at this point for our government that they'll make wise decisions and we need to be writing to our government so that uh, they will accept the good proposal and we will still continue to enjoy freedom of conscience and freedom of association and freedom of religion in Australia. But one of the things that Martin shared was he shared the story of this young man called Joshua who was a university student. And uh, Joshua, a couple of years ago, he got a phone call from the administration of the university telling him that he had been suspended. He'd been suspended for the next six months from university. Now, what had Joshua done? Well, Joshua had been praying on campus and had been creating an unsafe environment for the rest of the students by sharing his religious beliefs. Now, Martin, when he first heard about Joshua's story, was quite skeptical And he wanted to investigate because, you know, Christians often can be jerks. We can often, like, express our convictions in a very self-righteous way. And and therefore, we sort of, what we get is, is, you know, our own fault. But when Martin investigated the story of Joshua, it turns out that he was just a normal, average young person. And uh, what he had done is that one day he was uh, in this... Uh, room with another student and she had, was expressing to him uh, part of the trouble that she was having in her life and he had an opportunity in just a natural way to share his faith in Jesus and then he asked her whether he could pray for her and she said that he could so he prayed for the student and she appreciated that in the moment and she said but I'm an atheist but thank you for praying for me. Well, a couple of weeks later, uh, she, uh, he went into a lecture, and before the lecture, there was a group of students standing around, and one of the students asked him and said, what, what would you do if one of your friends came forward and said, I'm gay? 
Well, Joshua said, well, of course, I would continue to be their friend. I continue to love them. But as a person of faith, I have different convictions. And I would probably just say, you know, I disagree with their lifestyle choices. But Joshua was very cautious, knowing the environment. And he then asked a question. He said, well, what do the rest of you think? And, um, and he asked this girl in particular, what, what, would, what do you think? Well, she, she was the one who had reported him to the university and now he was going to be suspended for six months. He was going to have it permanently on his record. And before he could return to university, they said that he had to undergo counselling so that he could become more of a tolerant person. Now, that's a pretty extreme example. And fortunately, ACL worked with the university to help them to see reason. But it does demonstrate, I think, that there is this growing hostility in our culture for people of faith, and, and not people who are self-righteous and, and just, you know, uh, just get, uh, you know, uh, get what they sort of deserve, but, but people who are just trying to be whimsical and public about their convictions. There is this growing antagonism in our culture. Uh, Martin shared that over the last two years, he's had 40 different cases come across his desk of Christians who, because they've shared their faith publicly, either in their workplace or at university, have had something happen to them. And so how do we remain public as Christians in a world that it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that very thing? Now, I feel actually very disqualified to speak about this because on one level, while I look really bold when I stand up and preach before you, I feel very weak. I struggle to make my faith public and to have the bold conversations and I really need the power of the Spirit. But also I feel disqualified because, um, you know, I'm a pastor and so that sort of gives me permission on occasions to speak about issues of faith. When people ask me, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. They sort of expect me to talk about Christian things. They sort of expect me to talk about religious things. But I know for many people in this room, some of you work in hospitals some of you work in state schools. Some of you are in business environments where it's legislated, where you can't actually be public about your faith. You can't actually express your convictions. And so I do feel for you. How do you wisely and courageously make your faith public in that sort of situation? Well, while I mightn't be qualified to speak on this issue, there are three guys in our text today, who are very qualified to speak on this issue. Three men who were not pastors, but who were government officials. And they stood the test and demonstrated courage under the fire. I'm talking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny, if you know the VeggieTales version of the story. Well, um... You know, in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king of the time, you can look him up on Wikipedia, he has this bad dream and he can't sleep. And he goes to his wise men, as we saw last week, and he asks them to tell him the interpretation of the dream and the dream itself. And of course, the wise guys say, we can't do that, Nebuchadnezzar. We could give you an interpretation, but we can't tell you what the dream was because we can't read minds. And so Nebuchadnezzar is infuriated and he issues an edict that all the wise men, therefore, in his kingdom are to be put to death. 
And of course, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Jewish guys who've been taken from Jerusalem and transported in Babylon, their lives therefore are under threat because they were part of these wise men. They were part of these government officials in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And so they pray and they ask God to intervene and God gives Daniel the vision or the dream and its interpretation. And basically the meaning of the dream was that the dream was set to tell Nebuchadnezzar that while he was setting his heart upon building this kingdom that would last forever, God was telling him that his kingdom wouldn't last forever. There would be other kingdoms that would come and only God's kingdom would last forever. And as we come to the end of Daniel chapter 2, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar has this moment of humility because in, where he does seemingly acknowledge Daniel's God because down in verse 47 of Daniel chapter 2, we read this. It says, The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. But it seems as we come into Daniel chapter 3, which some people suggest is now 16 years on, the dream had faded into the background for King Nebuchadnezzar. As often happens, people forget what God has said to them. And now in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, we see Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden statue, 25 meters high. Now, we don't know whether it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself or whether it was a statue to his god, Dagon, but it seems to have been a symbol of his authority and of his kingdom and of his desire to be a big man, to be this ruler over all men. It was certainly a way for King Nebuchadnezzar to ensure that he would maintain his authority and control over his kingdom as he got everyone to come and bow before the statue. It's sort of a little bit like, I picture it a little bit like if you've ever been to Nepal. In Nepal, there is this statue of Lord Shiva, a golden statue of Lord Shiva, a Hindu god, that, that towers above Kathmandu, and you can see it from any place in Kathmandu, this gold statue of Lord Shiva. Well, for, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the pressure to bow down to the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar would have been enormous. First, it would have been enormous because of where it was placed. In verse 1, we read that it was set up on the plain of Jura. The word Jura means fortress or wall. So this statue was placed in a prominent position so that everyone could see this statue. Secondly, the who's who of the kingdom had been invited along to bow down. We read this in verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all the levels of the government had been invited, the finance people, the people who were in the government, the people, all of the levels of government had been invited. The who's who were going to be there and bow down. Thirdly, we see that there was that Nebuchadnezzar set up a time and he had all of the musicians there. And, and music, we know, it can, it can often have this powerful psychotic effect. We read about this in verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, 
and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And finally, there was the threat of death. We read about this in verse 6. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar had built this fiery furnace with one purpose, to chuck in the people who weren't going to bow down to his golden statue. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the pressure would have been enormous to bow down before this golden statue. I mean, it was set up in a prominent place. You could not ignore it. The who's who of the kingdom were there. This music would play that would exert this influence on you. And there was the threat of death. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went home to their wives the day that they found out that this is what was going to occur? Imagine Shadrach going back to his wife and saying, Darling, you know that statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has been building? Well, today he said, next week on Thursday, we all have to come and we all have to bow down before it. You can imagine her saying, well, well, well darling, darling, don't worry so much. You can, you can bow down physically. You can bow down before it. But in your heart, God knows your heart. God knows that in your heart you're not bowing down. And darling, darling, what, what, what is this going to mean for... For me and the kids, what is this going to mean for us? If, if you don't bow down, you're going to be chucked into the furnace. And what is this going to mean for, for us? So, so God knows your heart. If you just, if you just bow down and you, 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 just, you just humor this megalomaniac of a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, God knows your heart. God knows in your heart that you're not bowing down. You know, I know for many of you here, the pressure is enormous for you to stand up and make your faith publicly known. I know that for you, for, for many of you here, you know, you've probably had those conversations at home with your wife and you wonder what will happen to your wife and your kids if you take a stand for Jesus, what that will mean for your family, that it will cost you something. You see, this world calls us to bow down, to bow down, and it may cost and we have to use wisdom, I know, because, you know, sometimes I think, you know, it's, you know, in order to engage culture, we have to choose our battles wisely. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was a first commandment issue. God had said in the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. You shall worship no other gods before me. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was a defining moment in their life. Where did their allegiance lie? And so, when the day came, and the music played, and the who's who were there, and everyone else bowed down, there were three men who remained standing. Well, let's see how it worked out for them. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music 
shall bow down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, there is no doubt that these Chaldeans, these wise men, they were very jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's why they maliciously accused them before King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, we read over in chapter 2 that when Daniel had found favor in the eyes of King Nebuchadnezzar, he had asked King Nebuchadnezzar if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could get a promotion. And obviously, these other wise men were jealous, and they were looking for a way that they could tear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down so that they could be promoted. And I know for some of you here, you work in very competitive environments. And even though you have colleagues in your workplace, your colleagues are in competition against you. And they're looking for ways that they might bring you down so that they might be promoted above you. I've got a question for you. How did the Chaldeans know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't bowed down? I mean, surely, surely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, surely they, they, when the music went, they were on their faces. How did they see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not bowing down? Maybe they were peeking. Do you peek when people are praying? <laughs> are other people are praying in a prayer meeting? I admit, I peek <laughs> on occasion. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll put forward to you that maybe they knew of the integrity of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And maybe they knew this is our opportunity. We know these guys. We know they won't bow down. Well, let's see how King Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be bought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? I can't believe this. Is this actually true? You didn't bow down? Don't you value your life, guys? Let me give you another opportunity, he says. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But let me remind you, if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Notice that last little phrase there. My hands. While this image might have been an image of Nebuchadnezzar's God, Dagon, it was certainly a symbol of his desire to be a mighty man, a mighty ruler, to have an expansive kingdom. And you see, one of the reasons, I think, that we are tempted to go private with our faith is because when you go public with your faith, it will challenge the mighty idols of people's hearts. These three Jewish men not bowing down 
is challenging the authority and the control that was in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. You know, why do, let me ask you a question. Why does anyone care what a young Christian kid thinks on campus about sexuality? How does that, how does that make an unsafe environment for anyone? Well, it only makes an unsafe environment if it challenges the powerful idols that people have set their hearts upon. And one of the idols of our culture is that your identity is found through your sexuality, that your sexuality is your identity. And so, that, and so when a young person stands up and says, no, I, this is what I believe about sexuality, this is what I believe, it challenges the powerful idols that people have set up in their hearts. And let me tell you something, when you challenge people's idols, people hold tightly to their idols because they, their idols become their identity, become what they base their life around. Last Sunday night, we had Omar, Dr. Omar, come and speak from SIM to the church here. Dr. Omar is a Chinese-born Australian, um, and he's, yeah, and he, uh, and, uh, he, uh, and he was uh, sharing last week about how his father, who was an immigrant, uh, he only heard twice his father say to him that he was proud of him, once when he got into medicine, and the second time when he graduated from medicine. It was the two times he heard his father say that he was proud of him, but Dr. Omar, when Dr. Omar told his father that he was going to leave the medical profession in order to become a missionary, his father was enraged and said, you're throwing your life away. You're going to become a beggar? Is that what you're going to do with your life? You see, why was that? It's because Dr. Omar's dad, even though he was a Christian, what his heart was set upon was the idol of achievement. And his son being a doctor meant that as a migrant, he had, he had made it. He had, he had accomplished, he had achieved. And so his idol was under threat, my friends. When people's idols are under threat, they will come up against you. They will express anger towards you. And so this is why it's often different, difficult to go public with our faith because going public with your faith will challenge people's powerful idols. And so the stage is set here. Nebuchadnezzar has thrown down the gauntlet. Who is able to deliver you out of my hands? And here we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrate courageous faith. Look down in your Bibles in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I want to ask you a question. What were they confident of and what were they not confident of? What they were confident of was verse 17, that the God whom they serve was able to deliver them. What were they not confident of? Verse 18, whether he would in this situation. You see, true faith is trusting that God is able to deliver, but then also not presuming that maybe in this situation that mightn't be his will. 
He might have it that I actually go through the fire and get cast into the fire in this particular, in this particular situation. But faith, courageous faith, my friends, is standing up in the face of the fire. Courageous faith is standing up in the face of the fire. And I don't know about for you, but I'm so weak. And so where does this type of courageous faith come from? Well, let me tell you. Firstly, courageous faith comes from learning the lesson of the past. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had been told not to worship and serve idols. But repeatedly over their history, they, the people of Israel had bowed down and worshipped idols. And the reason they were in this whole mess to begin with, the reason that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in Babylon was because of idol worship. And so they decided, no, we're not going to worship idols. That's the, that's the reason why we're in this mess. It's because of idol worship. I'm looking for Christians who'll stand up and say, I've learned the lesson of history. The reason the church in Australia is in the mess it's in is because we're a lukewarm church. Who's learned the lesson of history? And we'll stand up and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be like that. Jesus, I want you to be my first love. I want to love you above all other things because you're worthy of that. Give me the power and the strength because I'm so weak, Jesus, in order to do that. But second, second thing, you want to know where courageous faith comes from? You won't get to Daniel chapter 3 until you've been through Daniel chapter 1. Outward devotion or outward courageous faith comes from private devotion. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel chapter 1 had drawn a line in the sand and in private where no one else could see, they had said, we will serve God. You'll never stand up publicly for Jesus unless you've cultivated a life of private devotion, unless in those private places you are serving Jesus and you're proving his faithfulness in private because courage to stand up in public comes from private devotion and maybe some of you today, your private worlds are just in a mess. You're stuck in all sorts of sin and it's ruling over you and, there is gonna, and you're not going to be able to stand up publicly because your life privately is in a mess and no one knows it. But thirdly, thirdly, courageous faith not only comes from learning the lesson of history, it not only comes, public courage comes from private devotion, but it also coming, comes from knowing that our God will save us ultimately from the fire of his judgment. Notice in verse 17 that they do say this directly in answer to Nebuchadnezzar's question. They say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So he's able to do that in our circumstances right here. But they also say, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. There will be an ultimate deliverance. Look down in verse 19. Let's keep reading the story. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered that some of the mighty men of his army bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. 
Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Christians throughout the history of the church have identified that fourth person as none other than Jesus. Do you want to know something? You'll never really experience the powerful presence of Jesus until after you've made your faith public, until after obedience. Charles Spurgeon said it well, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Christ Jesus. These Hebrew men did just that. They experienced exactly what Spurgeon said would happen when we do. When you walk in a fiery furnace, rest assured, brothers and sisters, Jesus is already there waiting for you. Daniel Eichen says this in his commentary. He says, we can say with confidence that the fourth person in the furnace was the one known as Emmanuel, God with us. Some are hesitant to make such a specific identification with the heavenly being as the pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. But he says, in all honesty, I feel no such hesitation. I believe that the one who walked with them in and through the fire is the one who walked through the fires of hell on our behalf in order that we too would not have a single cell of our souls singed by the fiery flames that we deserve. And this should not surprise us. Because all throughout the Bible, God promises to be with his people. In Exodus 3 verse 6, God said to Moses, I will be with you. In, in Isaiah 43 and verse 2, he says, I'll be with you when you pass through the waters. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. I wonder if when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were falling into the burning fiery furnace, whether these words from Isaiah came to their mind. And obviously, Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, he said, go and make disciples. And he said, behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. You know, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were delivered through the fire and then out of the fire. For many Christians in the history of the church, they have not experienced that. For many, they've just been delivered through the fire and their bodies have been burned up. I want to share a picture with you this morning. This is a picture in Oxford on Broad Street, Oxford, many people actually walk over this on Oxford Street and they have no idea that they are walking on sacred ground where Hugh Latimer 
and Ridley were burnt for their faith in Jesus because they would not bow down to a church which was preaching a false gospel. And as Hugh Latimer was being burnt alive, he turned to Ridley and he said these words, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light a candle that by God's grace in England, I trust, will never be put out. I am so grateful for courageous Christians who in the face of the fire have stood up. How do we overcome the world, John says in 1 John? Our faith. Our faith in the God who will deliver us from the fire. The Apostle Paul, when he was you know, about to come before Caesar, facing his moment in Philippians 1, he was confident. Why was he confident? Because he says, if I depart, I will go and be with Christ. For, for me to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. What's the worst thing that people can do to you? Is take your life and you then get to go be with Jesus. Immediately transported into the presence of Jesus. You know, when Christ, who is my life, appears, what does it say? Then I will appear with him in glory. Courageous faith in the midst of fire. Well, let's have a look at how this passage ends. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Look at this detail. The cloaks were not harmed. There was no smell of fire that had come upon them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and has delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and they yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make the decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. My pastor, Pastor Graham, when he was preaching on this passage, he told this story of in the Soviet Union when it was illegal to be a Christian. He told the story of how the KGB guards came to this gathering of Christians who were gathered like, much like we're gathered today. And the KGB caught them, surrounded them, and the officer of, the, of this group of guards said to these Christians, he said, I'll let you go free if you deny knowing Christ and if you kiss this picture of Lenin. And one by one, Christians came forward weeping and kissed the picture of Lenin and left until there was only a small number left. And then the officer turned to this group of Christians and he said this, he said, you know, I have given my life and sacrificed much for communist ideals and I've found them hollow. 
and I want to know about Jesus, but I didn't want to know it from some people who are unwilling to give their lives for what they believe in. See, if you really want to make a difference, it doesn't come from being a wishy-washy sort of person who says, oh, I'll, I'll bow down on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. That doesn't convince anyone of the value of Jesus. What convinces people of the value of Jesus is when I know we're all weak. I'm the first person here who's the weakest probably of all of us. I mean, I have the easiest job. You guys, some of you guys are in hospitals. Some of you guys are in state schools. Some of you guys are in workplaces. And I do, I do think, man, I've got it easier than you, Keith. I know that. I know that, brother. But I know that God can give you wisdom and God can give you strength as he gives me wisdom and strength to also stand up and make a difference for him in the culture in which we find ourselves. What we all need to do is we need to take our faith public. The future of the church, and this is no dramatic statement, it's actually real, guys. The future of the church in Australia lies on this fact. Are we going to bow down or are we going to with God's grace in our weakness and the power of the Holy Spirit, take our stand in wise ways. I'm not suggesting you run out tomorrow and I'm not talking about being self-righteous and I'm not talking about all of that because that's just horrible. What I'm talking about is true courage. Now, one of the groups of the people here this morning that I really do feel for is the retirees because I was a bit harsh in the morning in the first service, but I just want to just talk to you for a moment. And that is, I feel like um, you would probably think this message is not for me, all right? But in a way, you can be bowing down to the golden idol of our culture, which says your retirement is to be spent on you. Maybe that's the place where you need to exercise some civil disobedience and say, I will not bow down. A couple of months ago, I was at a conference and the speaker, he was talking to a guy and he said, how long have you been retired? And the guy said, I've been re retired for 25 years. He retired at an early age of 55. What have you done for the last 25 years? The guy said, oh, I've just drifted, just drifted. And this this guy said to this guy, he said, so you're telling me that the Lord gave you 25 good years of health and you're going to stand before him one day and he's going to say, what did you do with those 25 years? And you're going to say, just drifted, just drifted. It may be retirees, and I know some of our retirees are doing a fantastic job in their retirement. They're using it for the glory of Jesus. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, might this be the most profitable season of your life? This might be, this might be. You might be able to lead the way. And rather than bow down to the golden idol of retirement is to be spent on me and it's about me getting what now I can relax and now I can enjoy myself, maybe, maybe Jesus has given you the retirement and this time and this energy, if you've got a bit of energy left, it might be, that you can pray, you can help out like never before and you can run across the finishing line 
into the presence of Jesus. You can meet him and say, you were worthy. You were worthy of every day, not just my youth. You were worthy of all my life, worthy of all my life, all my days, Jesus. Not just that first time when I first became a believer, but every day since. You are worthy, Jesus. See, I wish I could take you with me as I'm going to be going next month to Nepal to Christians who do live under a golden idol. It stands over Kathmandu Valley. You can see it. It's lit up at night. But those Christians have found that Jesus is so much more worthy of their devotion than anything else. He is worthy because he's the one who went through the fire, the ultimate fire of God's judgment so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could know God. I know it's difficult, but let's not bow down. With his strength, with his energy, with his power, we cannot bow down. And maybe we might light a fire in Adelaide that will burn for generations. Let me pray. I'm so weak. We are so weak, Jesus. Not a person in this room probably doesn't feel weak. When we read this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's so, empower- it's so, it's so um, inspiring. But we feel so weak because we have bowed down in many ways. And in many parts of our lives, we've bowed down to the idols of our culture. But we thank you so much for your empowering grace, your forgiving grace to forgive us afresh. And we know that this whole letter of Daniel was written to exiles to encourage them with your grace and your love. To encourage them to have courage in the midst of the fire. And so, Father, we thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And... But more importantly, we thank you for the grace of King Jesus, the one who went to the fire for us and suffered the fire of God's judgment on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and who will meet us and has promised to be present with us, to empower us, to strengthen us. Do you know, you can't be too weak for God but you can be too strong and actually change begins by humbling yourself and admitting your weakness maybe today you need to humble yourself come down the front and bow before the king of kings and say in bowing before you Jesus I'm taking my stand I will not bow I will not bow before the idols of this culture.